Welcome to the brand new Patriots and Pinstripes podcast, the official podcast of the New York Yankees AA affiliate Somerset Patriots. And the Patriots have won it! Somerset! My name is Mark Schwartz. On this show, I'll cover all things Somerset Patriots and New York Yankees, from the organizational structure all the way down to the prospects, the AA Northeast League, and everything in between. A pleasant hello and welcome to the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Very, very exciting episode for you guys this week. We have a special guest. It is J.J. Cooper from Baseball America, the executive editor at Baseball America. He's been with them since 2002, and he has really become an authority voice when it comes to all things baseball, from minor leagues to collegiate baseball, and specifically... He was the guy that was breaking all of the news when it came to the restructuring of minor league baseball over the last year, and specifically when it came to the Patriots joining the New York Yankees organization. We touch on a lot in our conversation, spanning not only from the Patriots' affiliation with the Yankees, but also the current state of minor league baseball. We discuss the effect of COVID-19 on the 2021 season, and we'll take a deeper look at the Yankees' farm system. But before we get into all of that, I have another special guest this week, and I, I really shouldn't say the word guest. Instead, I should say we have an exciting new co-host, because joining the pod for this week's episode and for all future episodes throughout the 2021 season is the new Somerset Patriots broadcast and media relations assistant, Brandon Pelter. Welcome back, Brandon. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back. Um, we had so much fun back in 2019, and now we're going to see great baseball. We're really excited to get the fans back here in TD Bank Ballpark, and and uh, for myself, I'm just excited to see live sports right in front of us. Well, it's crazy to say this, but we are now less than three weeks away from that live baseball returning here. May 4th, the Patriots welcome in the Harrisburg Senators to usher in a new era of Patriots baseball. What are you most looking forward to over the next couple of weeks and specifically getting started on May 4th? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the most obvious answer for everybody around the ballpark and all the Patriots fans, and that's the affiliation. There's going to be a lot of big names rolling through, uh, not only this season, but for so many more seasons to come. Um, but when you think about the future of the Yankees, it really uh, kind of takes off in Somerset. But then also, when you look around the rest of Major League Baseball, all of those other teams are going to have their top guys in TD Bank Ballpark day in uh, and day out as we go through the course of the season. So we're going to see a lot of great baseball and get to know a lot of names that will take over the majors for years to come. I'll tell you what, there's already that hum in the ballpark with all of the construction that's being done. I mean, you've been here now for the last couple of days and you see the renovations the construction everywhere and all. I mean, there's a drill going on in the background as I say <laughs> this right now. So there's already that, that sense of excitement here, and, and it's only going to carry over to May 4th. In regards to the roster of what this team is going to look like, we know as of now, one player has been technically assigned to AA. That's Luis Heal, number four ranked prospect by Baseball America. And the general consensus from our research in regards to the Yankees farm system, a lot of really young talent, for Somerset's perspective this season, possibly more of a gear towards the pitching side. What are you looking at in terms of roster composition? Yeah, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is I know everybody that you've really had on the podcast, that has been their stress. Uh, the the arms that we are going to see this, uh, this season 
really uh, can be the future for the Yankees, starting with Luis Heal, who has a plus fastball, really one of the tops in the organization. Uh, but then some guys that maybe won't start here. I, uh, Luis Medina kind of comes to mind that might start in Hudson Valley, kind of work on some control and then work their way here. Those are uh, those are. You know, that's another name and some more. And, and also looking past this season, I think then you really get into some of the bats. And, and of course, we can't talk about the Yankees organization <laughs> in minor leagues without talking about Jason Dominguez. You know, maybe this year will not, you know, we won't see him here at TD Bank Ballpark, but next year becomes a possibility. We'd certainly think two years from now, if he's not already above double a level of baseball he will be here donning the uh, patriots pinstripes well that that's right and you know the martian as he's nicknamed is at the forefront of player rankings and specifically player rankings at baseball america and that's one of the many topics that i got a chance to discuss with jj cooper on our upcoming interview so let's get into that right now uh my interview with jj cooper in regards to what patriots fans can expect for the 2021 season and years to come who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! And welcome back to the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. A very, very special guest this week. My name is Mark Schwartz, and I have the pleasure of being joined alongside the executive editor at Baseball America. He's been there since 2002. He was the leading voice with all of the minor league news that you've heard over the last couple of years, and you know specifically this last year with the Patriots joining the affiliated ranks. It is J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. J.J., thank you so much for taking some time today. I'm happy to be here. I will, we, we really appreciate you taking some time. I want to jump right into it. This has been a very exciting time uh, for the Somerset Patriots. Of course, the news came out uh, on November 6th when you broke the story that the Patriots were becoming a new affiliate of the New York Yankees organization. But I do want to take a couple of steps further back before we get to that exact news. There was a lot of information that started to trickle out in, you know, late 2019 and early 2020 about the restructuring of minor league baseball. And then specifically, you wrote a story on June 25th, uh, which is the first time that the Patriots were brought up in that conversation. And you said at the time, quote, the team most likely to be brought into affiliated baseball was the Somerset Patriots. And there had been the rumors about St. Paul. There had been the rumors about Sugarland. So I'm curious, when you wrote that story and you started hearing some rumors about Somerset, what, what were some of your initial reactions? So to kind of pull back a, a little bit to the start of this. So we knew that, you know, from the very start on this, I guess started, I think the, I started hearing rumblings in 2018, to be honest, but not nothing where you felt comfortable that okay this is concrete you hear in 2019 i think by october of 2019 we were able to write hey their major league baseball is looking at a major proposing a major reorganization of the minors and at that time when they kind of laid that out to minor league baseball they did talk about the idea of adding at the time it was saint paul and sugarland as possibilities um and at that time, we didn't hear Somerset. You know, that time we heard AAA, Sugarland, St. Paul. But as I understand it, and again, I've done a lot of reporting on this, but I don't want to say this is 100% concrete, but the best way I understand it was that was kind of the AAA level was done in a way of they needed to kind of rationalize. They wanted to add those two markets. You had these two teams that were basically smack dab in 
the major league markets and it would make that when you were trying to do geographic, you know, continuity and all that, it fit that way. Well, you get to 2020 and they're working this through. And, and basically one of the things that MLB did was they went to all 30 clubs and they said, who do you want to affiliate with? Doesn't mean we can guarantee it to you, but who do you want in an ideal world who, and, and they would say, we're not promising you you're going to get your entire wish list, but who do you want to affiliate with? And one of the things that happened with that is, I don't know if it was a question where they said, does it have to be affiliated? Or if they just said, or just to answer their question, Somerset came up as, no, this is a team that we would want to affiliate with. And which says something for Somerset, I'll, I'll tell you right there, from the standpoint of it wasn't something where Major League Baseball said, hey, we think that you need to be in Somerset. It was much more of kind of an organic, the, the, you know, the Somerset is a viable team that we want to be affiliated with. And from there, the ball just, I guess, kept rolling. And, and here we are talking now, and, and we're talking about Somerset as a double A's Yankees affiliate, which is obviously, it, it's very different. But I, I would imagine that there are a lot of people, I, I, you know much better than I do, but I'm going to wager that there are a lot of Yankees fans in the, uh, in the Somerset area. And so there are probably a lot of people who are uh, pretty excited by that news. Yeah, there, there's a ton of Yankee fans. I mean, uh, we've had a lot of momentum, which has been nice uh, coming off of a year where there wasn't a normal minor league season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So to come out on the other side and have this new momentum with a Yankee affiliation and have this increase in our season ticket database uh, has been really significant for the club. And, you know, we've been working tirelessly to get ready for opening day on May 4th. So it, it's an exciting time. Uh, I'm curious, at the time that these rumors started coming out and, and Somerset was, was a name that you started hearing, uh, was there a reputation for Somerset around the baseball world? Were there people that were coming out that saying like, oh, that's interesting, that makes sense? Or, what, what was sort of the reputation for the Patriots at the time? The reputation was is that Somerset was, was much like when we talk about St. Paul. It was that this is one of the gems of, I'll still call it, at the time it was indie ball. So one of the gems of indie ball. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like that there were others. I would say that Long Island has also long been considered one of those. But you have these, these teams where you would say the operations are top-notch, the facilities are top-notch, and they draw. Like I would say that those kind of are the, the, the three checkpoints. And I, I, you could probably throw geography in that. I don't care how great an operation you have. You know, if, if Quebec had an incredible operation that, you know, it, it would, in indie ball, it would still be hard to say that they're going to fit for a lot of teams because of geography. So there's a geographic component and all, but those four things, Somerset, Somerset checked off all four of them. And, and that's one of those where you started hearing the rumors. It wasn't something that seemed implausible in any way from that standpoint. You hear it and you go, oh yeah, I've always heard that Somerset is a top-notch operation. I've always heard good things about the facility. I've always heard, you know, geographically, it obviously fits with a wide variety of teams, you know, because there is a lot of major league teams in the Northeast. So you put all that together and you say, 
yeah, this actually makes a whole lot of sense in a way that you'd hear, you'd hear rumors sometimes with some other teams and you're going, I don't know if that's going to necessarily fit as well. Somerset was one that from the start, it, it didn't seem implausible. Were there any feelings in major league organizations that there shouldn't be this inclusion of independent teams coming over to the eventual 120? Or was that not really a concern at the time? Oh, uh, so we're, we're talking about different perspectives here. Yeah. So from the minor league of, you know, team perspective, absolutely. And when I said at the time, you know, that Somerset was most likely, the biggest hurdle that you were looking at to me was what were the, what was going to be the price to essentially come into affiliated baseball? What was going to be the price to come into the club? And there ended up being one. But the, the funny thing about it is, is I always could construct like the way that this ended up. We're not talking about a situation where before 2021, there was always a professional baseball agreement between minor league baseball as an entity, as a, you can call minor league baseball as a corporation or as a trade association, whatever you want to call it, and major league baseball. Well, this is really a new system that has been set up. So one could at least construct the legal argument that Somerset, Sugarland, St. Paul should have to pay anything into it because they're joining a new organization much like these other teams are. But that was always the question was, is, is the price going to be? And when there was a counter proposal that came from minor league baseball late last year, late last year in the season, well, the, during yeah. what would have been the season, a lot of complications to add <laughs> these things. But it had a proposal that is going to cost $35 million to join affiliated baseball, which is a price at which no team would ever pay. Because, I mean, the, the thing that obviously people understand not understanding, from a financial perspective, these teams we're talking about, the Patriots, St. Paul, Sugarland. It's not something where you join affiliated baseball and all of a sudden you open your door and this money just starts pouring in. These are very successful operations in, in a partner league or indie ball. And going into affiliated baseball, like you said, being a Yankees affiliate in Somerset, it very well may lead to more season ticket sales. But it's not going to all of a sudden change the economics of operating in Somerset. It's not going to do the same. And St. Paul's selling out their ballpark every night for the season as it was. All they did, you know, from a revenue standpoint by joining and becoming a Twins affiliate, it's great to be a Twins affiliate in St. Paul, but their cost, their travel cost, just, you know, may have gone up by doing yeah. so. And there's other things. So it's not like that these decisions were like, oh, wow, Somerset's now going to be doing so much better financially. These were already really successful, you know, operations before this. So, but, but from the standpoint of minor league teams, there understandably was a, we need to protect our, our 120, 160 that they had. But on the major league baseball side, that's obviously was less of a concern to them. I would describe theirs as, we, these are going to be 10 year agreements. So, I mean, that's one of the thing, key things here. This is not, oh, the Somerset's going to have a Yankees affiliate for the next two years. Somerset knows it's going to have a Yankees affiliate for the next decade. But Major League Baseball's approach to this was we want to be 
in the best markets, in the best stadiums, in the best fits for our major league teams for the long term. And just because a team has been in a now again, they they changed a few. They changed three. They didn't, you know, they didn't tear apart the whole system. Yeah. But they did very much look at this and say, we're not going from a major league baseball perspective, they wanted to be in the best fits. They didn't want to say, we're going to say no to this fit, this operation, just because they haven't been part of affiliated baseball before. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by TD Bank. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, we've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank, N.A. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. In uncertain times, you need someone who has your back. That's why Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey makes sure their health plans have all the benefits you need. Telemedicine, mental health services, and more. Because everyone should feel like someone has their back. I want to get into the 10-year contracts with the PDLs that you just brought up. Uh, You know, from a Patriots perspective, that's one of the ways that we've been able to sell this to the public is, you know, this is a 10-year agreement. Uh, We're going to be a New York Yankees affiliate for the next 10 years. I'm curious because there have been some rumors and rumblings somewhat along these lines of, in your opinion and through your reporting, uh, is there any room within the next 10 years that we're going to see any shifts in what the minor league structure is going to look like, whether it be on a very minor scale as like, you know, a team setting up a new ballpark and, you know, relocating down the road or potential larger shifts where some teams might change different leagues. Is there any room within the next 10 years where we might see any kind of a change? I, I would say that the chances that we are talking in 2031 and by the way, if we're talking about baseball in 2031, yay, that's, that's great. <laughs> you know, that means that I'm, I, I would hope I still, you know, we're still doing this like we're doing this now. But in 2031, if we're talking, there is almost no chance to me that we will be talking and the 120 teams are the same 120 in the same spots as they are now. There is going to be some movement. Now, some of that is very much laid out in these professional development licenses. If a team that currently has a club, they have a grace period to meet facility requirements. And those facility requirements, in many cases, are going to be pretty strict and pretty onerous in to get to them. Pretty much almost no one had the locker room for female staff that is required in this. Um, Lighting standards have been improved. Clubhouses, especially the visiting clubhouse size is much larger under this requirement than it was before. So you have a lot of teams who've been around for a long time and they may be 250, 300 square feet short of where they have to be on the visiting clubhouse. Now there's food preparation areas, there's dining areas, there's batting tunnels. There's all these requirements of this. 
I, the best I can describe it is, is it's like a, uh, a food inspection score. You don't have to score a hundred, you know, you, there is a limit. And if you're below that limit, then you are not in compliance. So maybe a team has a 950 square foot visitor clubhouse and they say, okay, we're just going to take that penalty. It's, we can do everything else. But if you fail to, to come above that bar in the next three, four years, not just MLB has the right, there is the likelihood that then some teams could move to somewhere else that does have facilities that meet those standards. Um, there's nothing in this provision that prevents a team from moving. You know, if, if a team's in one market and now they have to get approved, but if a team's in one market and their owner sells and there's a team in another market, you know, the owner buys it, wants to move them to another market, there has to be approvals, much like there was under the old system, but there's nothing in this that prevents that from happening. Mm. I'll go one further step. Right now, we have a league, the high A, uh, there's a high A league that has, that stretches from Bowling Green, Kentucky and Rome, Georgia to Fishkill, New York. That's not ideal from a, but that's going to stay like that. I'm not saying they're going to completely blow up the league, but I will say this right now, there are seven teams in the South slash West of that league. And there are five in the North slash East. I don't think that that's, plan like if you told me that long term that ends up being a six and six would not shock me at all because seven and five is a seven team division and a five team division which means that one team from 350 miles south or 500 miles south or 900 miles south is going to have to be playing one team in the north at all times because if you have a 12 team league and you're going to be playing six series at any time you're always going to have one of those I wouldn't be surprised at all if that ended up changing to get that into a system where there are six teams in the North and six teams in the South, and they rarely play each other, which would cut travel significantly down the road. Well, for a, from a fan's perspective, and I know you've probably answered this question a number of times, but I want to make sure that I work it into our conversation today. You know, there's a lot of verbiage in these PDLs. A lot of stuff that, you know, applies to the organizational structure of teams and might not necessarily translate too much to the on-field product. But can fans expect anything to look or feel different in this new minor league structure when they are physically coming to the ballpark? I would say this, this is difficult to answer because we're going to have – there's about three things here. There's a lot of new we have the We have 2021, which is going to be really weird Yes, because of COVID. Um, in 2021, if you come to the ballpark, you're going to see a lot of restrictions over what you're normally allowed. And that's not because Major League Baseball has taken over governance of the minors. That's going to be because we're in, you know, still in some form in a pandemic. So you're not going to see the on-field, you know, you're, you're, no, kids are not going to be racing the mascot between the bottom of the fourth, you know, and the top of the fifth. And you're not going to see a dizzy bat race on field and all that. There's going to be that separation. It's going to be harder to get autographs or maybe impossible to get autographs in, you know, because there's going to be, at least until we get the vaccination rates up, there's going to be that buffer zone. So that's something that's going to be going on when you show up at the ballpark right away. That's, that's not a long-term thing. That's not a 
oh, Major League Baseball never wants a minor league player to ever interact with a fan again. That's a safety protocol that has been put in place for now. Okay, so we have that. So let's take that aside. Let's say that we're, you know, in a normal situation and then compare it to what it was in the past. I think that what you're going to see long-term is the on-field product is going to be, you know, very similar to what it was before. I I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of difference. You're going to see things around the periphery. Um, Major League Baseball marketing minor league baseball as a whole probably means long-term it's going to be a little easier to see games on MILB TV or whatever form they do that because MLB is going to, instead of it being, they were already doing that. They were already running MILB TV before, but they were doing it before as kind of a, a, you know, MILB was a client. So the MILB TV app was always four or five years behind where the MLB app was. So I, it was, it took a long time before you could actually watch games on a Android phone and it's, it was a flash, all these things, it didn't get to high def until 2019. So there, there was a lot of things that were moving very slowly. I think we'll move much faster now. Um, I think that the awareness, the promotion of minor league baseball as a whole by major league baseball, you're going to be much more aware of minor league baseball than you were before because they're going to make a point if you're watching MLB network, MLB tonight, they're going to make a point if there's a really cool play at a Somerset game of, of putting that on now in a way that maybe they would have never even noticed before. So you got things like that, but I, I would say that those things are largely at least on the front end going to be on the periphery. Now, long-term, I also think we're, you know, double a Northeast very well may become a sponsored name at some point. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be double a Northeast. I think it's going to be whatever sponsor they find to, to, you know, to much like you see with the NBA. It's, it used to be the D league, the, the developmental league. Well, the D league became the G league. Why? Because Gatorade sponsored it. Well, you're going to see things like that. You're going to see, um, you know, it, Probably long term, it's going to be a little easier, you know, on to find, you know, on MLB.com, you know, and things like that, how to buy hats and things like that. But I think it's going to be around the periphery. The other thing that I think we will see, we're starting to see now, they're going to experiment a little bit more with the rules. Now, those rules changes are going to be, I think, less severe than some people fear, but we've seen it this year. Bigger bases at AAA. Double A, if I remember right, is the shift rule. So, you know, you're going to be seeing like that you're not allowed to have, uh, you have to have four infielders, you know, with their feet in the dirt, which is means the second baseman's not going to be playing somewhere in what would be described as short right field. Uh, there's going to be a Class A league, the low A Southeast, where they're going to have robo-umps, automated ball strike, calling the balls and strikes. You're going to have these varying rules that are going on. They're going to be different. And you may see more of those in the future. But at the core, it's going to be still pretty similar to what you would have seen before. And to be honest, because we're talking about Somerset Patriots, it's also you're going to see a little younger players. There are going to be Yankees prospects. But it's not going to even be that dramatically different. The caliber of play is not going to be something where I think an average fan, if you took them and plucked them from a 2018 Somerset game and put them into 2022, that they're going to notice a, an eye-opening difference because the quality of play was good before, the quality of play will be good now. It'll just be a little different because 
again, there will be the excitement factor of at some point a Jason Dominguez playing in Somerset. <laughs> That'll be a little different. Oh, I do want to get into Jason Dominguez and the rest of the Yankees system in a bit, but I, I wanted to touch on a couple of things you just brought up quickly. Um, first, uh, you mentioned rule changes. Uh, the Patriots, of course, are no stranger to rule changes, having played in the Atlantic League the last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, we had a, a structure here where a lot of those uh, those new rules were, were put into place, uh, specifically the automated balls and strike system, uh, which the Patriots in the Atlantic League were using uh, last year. That is no longer to be going to be in place this year. Um, we actually had that big track man, big radar thing that was on our suite level removed. Uh, but in terms of other rule changes, is the plan still under this one baseball concept that Major League Baseball has put out to sort of siphon a lot of these rules through these partner leagues, whether it be the Atlantic League or, or are there openings for like a Frontier League, American Association or Pioneer League to, to jump into that um, potential rule change environment? I think that's going to predominantly remain the Atlantic League. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. Um, one is the Atlantic League is the first one to do so. And I think that they kind of retain that right to be the experimental league. I also think that there's reluctance on the other leagues to do so. Like, it is one of those things where the Atlantic League has got a trade-off here. They are a close partner of Major League Baseball, and there's a lot of advantages with that. But at the same time, this is one of those tricky things, and we don't need to go too far into this, but now that the independent leagues are partner leagues, it's interesting from a how they sell themselves in a marketing perspective because one of the sales pitches of independent baseball was that it was independent. And how do you thread that needle when you're a partner league so you now are closer aligned with Major League Baseball, but at the same time, you know, they have fans who – I've heard from Frontier and American Association fans, you know, who've said, I don't want to have those rules changes in our league. I want our league to determine how we do these things. And so there are aspects with that as well that are, that are tricky with this. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by TD Bank. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, we've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank, NA. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. In uncertain times, you need someone who has your back. That's why Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey makes sure their health plans have all the benefits you need. Telemedicine, mental health services, and more. Because everyone should feel like someone has their back. Looking specifically towards this season, JJ, you know, we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and this is going to be a season that looks a lot different from previous years. And you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in our conversation. Um, right now, we're ticketed for, uh, for May 4th as our opening day. Of course, AAA opening day had been pushed from early April to early May. Uh, so just quickly, um, from your perspective, are we still on schedule? We're, are we still looking good? Are we in the clear? 
I would be shocked if we don't start May 4th. I, I really would. Um, I think there's a lot of positive momentum heading that direction. Also on the standpoint of now that we are in everyone essentially 16 or over is supposed to be able to get access to a vaccine. MLB had, I think, a reluctance early on with vaccine, with vaccination and all. They didn't want to be seen as jumping the line. Now that 16 or older, no health conditions, no, you know, you're eligible for vaccine. I think Major League Baseball is really working hard to try to get as many minor league players and staff vaccinated as possible before the season ever begins, which will, will just make everything uh, a lot easier for 2021. If everyone, if your team's vaccinated or 95% of them are vaccinated, then there are much less concerns about travel and, and other things like that. Um, at this point, uh, the outcry that would understandably happen, there's, there's nothing I see that says why we can't be playing minor league games on scheduled opening day right now. I also will say, I think that pushing it back by a month, I've talked to a lot of minor league operators, GMs, you know, and, and all around the minor leagues who really liked pushing it back a month because the difference between un going live on April 6th, 7th, 8th, and May 4th, 5th, May 4th or 6th, again, there's one AAA league's going to make 6th, but May 4th is going to be very significant for a couple of reasons. One, the protocols, the safety protocols for COVID did come out to really late. And if they'd have come out when they did and said, by the way, you got to be ready on April, you know, on, in early April, it would have been something where you would have said, we can't get these done. I mean, we don't have time to get these done. So there's that. But second, this is the year where pretty much across the board, teams are going to be allowed to have more fans in the later we go in the year, hopefully, than we were at the start. Well, that's good because more fans better. Teams are also, again, if you're in the Northeast, you, you'll gladly trade a game that may have snow on the ground in April for yes. a little bit later in the season. There's all those things too. You just put it all together and it, it just makes this year it makes sense waiting a little while makes everything better in this case I, again yes there are going to be a few games lost from it but where we are as as far as being ready to have minor league baseball on may 4th is a better place than where we would have been on april and again from a practical standpoint it wasn't possible this year because for covid protocols they didn't bring the minor leaguers in until the major leaguers left they wanted to have more room and so by doing so, it meant that minor league spring training couldn't happen until right now. You mentioned earlier about um, vaccines. H have you experienced any hesitation from major league organizations to have minor league players vaccinated? Or has that generally been a pretty steady process for teams? From team standpoint, I think they all want them vaccinated. Now, it, there's, they can't, I don't think that there's, you know, you, you can't really force no a player. There's no mandate to that. I, I think from a labor law perspective, I don't know how much you, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't even know how much you can. It's just strongly encouraged. Now, when you say strongly encouraged, to give an example, this is an extreme example, but if I've got two AAA players and let's say I've got two pitchers and both of them are candidates to be called up to the majors. And let's say that player A is slightly better than 
be a slightly better player than player B. But player B is vaccinated and player A is not. If I'm the major league club, I might be more inclined to bring up vaccinated player B because Again, AAA, you're traveling, and especially on the west side, you're traveling by plane. You're traveling on commercial flights. Well, the difference in quality of player between player A and player B is not maybe sufficient enough to be worth the risk of bringing player A in and then there being a higher risk of, of this player you know, bringing COVID into the clubhouse, which may mean that these much better players on the team are more at risk of being, you know, lost for a week or, or two or whatever. So there are a lot of things there where there are incentives to do so. But again, I don't think that there are mandates. Well, on that note also, uh, in terms of how much mobility we're going to see between levels in affiliates with players getting called up, sent down, do you anticipate that that number is going to lessen a little bit this year because teams might want players to stay in a certain area and be around the same group of guys in the same bubble? Or is that not really a concern and we might see the same amount of guys getting called up and sent down and whatnot like we would in, under normal circumstances? The, as they are right now, and again, these rules could change as far as when vaccination rates go way up and all that. But as it stands right now, they're kind of going to be in bubbles. You know, when they go on the road, you know, these are going to be traveling below the AAA level. These are going to be bus trips where you're only traveling with your team on the bus with, and almost no one else. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, the requirements for what it takes to get on that bus basically are that you are essential to a game being played. A trainer, yes, but, you know, it's going to be a very tightly focused travel group. Okay, now you hit the road. Okay, we're in the hotel. The, the worst job there's going to be this year is to be the coronavirus uh, protocol you know, director for each team. If I want to go as a player to visit a teammate's hotel room, I have to call for permission to do so, get approved, and then go over. If I want to go out not to eat in a restaurant, that's not allowed. If I want to go out to go pick up food that I have ordered, I have to check with the coronavirus protocol director for approval to do so. If I want to go do anything, hey, I'm gonna go for a walk, not inside anywhere for a walk. I, all these things are gonna be very strictly controlled to limit the possibility of infection. So I, I think if you said, now, if, and the other part of this is with the reorganization, this is going to be where it not necessarily need to fly a lot of times to move a player from one level to another. If you're talking about that, it's a drive. Well, I think at that point, there's not really much concern at all. If we're talking about a vaccinated player, I think there's probably not going to be that much concern. So there's a lot going on here where I think we're still going to see a good bit of movement, maybe a little less than we would in a normal year, but not a dramatic amount less. You, you mentioned the, you know, there's that operations manual that was sent out by Major League Baseball to minor league clubs. And I believe Baseball America posted an article about it back on March 30th. There's a lot of information in there. Um, a lot of very specific protocols, you know, just to provide some examples at the AA level, only 44 covered individuals that you mentioned that really have access to the teams. There's some other restrictions on what players can do and can't do where they can eat what they're allowed to do on the road, um, what their amount of time allowed in a clubhouse, you know, sunflower seeds, you know, all, all of those kind of things. Uh, I'm curious if you've heard about 
whether as the season progresses and like you said, vaccination rates go up and hopefully overall cases of COVID go down, is this a living manual in the sense that there might be room for some restrictions to be loosened a little bit or is Major League Baseball pretty much holding close to this at least through all of 2021 and then we revisit this down the road? No, I think that in an ideal world, we get a little further into the season. The operations manual has been described to me. It seems like it was written by people. It was almost like it was written by lawyers to be very cautious, you know, but at the same time, I do think that there is room here and there's a likelihood that if, if we get to a point where we've seen this at the major league level already, where they've said, if you're at 85% vaccination rate, then we can loosen some of these rules. If you're talking about the same thing on a minor league side, if you get to, you know, a, a team is fully or almost fully vaccinated, you may see reductions on some of these rules, which I think is, is kind of good for everyone. You know, it, it, it's something where I do think that we will see some of these rules restricted, you know, released as, as we go back. Well, I, uh, the last thing I, I sort of want to touch on um, in our conversation, and again, JJ, I'm very, very appreciative of your time today. I, I did want to get your opinion on the Yankee farm system specifically, because of course the Patriots are now the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Uh, Baseball America going into the 2021 season ranked the Yankees organization 18th in their organizational talent rankings with uh, three prospects in the top 100. I'm sure many Yankee fans can guess who the top guy was. Uh, that's the Martian, Jason Dominguez, who Baseball America ranked as the number 33 overall uh, prospect. So I'm, I'm curious what your, you know, broad opinions are on the shape of the Yankees organization and maybe what some fans in Somerset at the AA level can specifically look forward to this year. The Yankees organization, you know, farm system's fascinating because it is incredibly high ceiling talented prospects who have a lot to figure out. The thing that will be interesting for Somerset is, and it's going to be a little weird because these were all guys like, it's going to be interesting to see how all these guys kind of filter out because there are a lot of players who I would have thought would have been headed to double A in 2020. Now are some of those going to get jumped over it for a missing season? Or are they going to go back? You're going to go to double A now because they've never really pitched at double A. But I, I thought that the, the pitching staff, that was at class A, low A, and then a lot of them got bumped to high A in 2019, really could be a truly fascinating one for the Patriots this year. You look at the, you know, Alexander Vizcaino's, the, the Luis Gills, they're, they're guys like that that you say, oh, Luis Medina, Luis Medina, there may not be a pitcher in the minors who has better pure stuff than Luis Medina. Now, control? Not always there. Consistency, not always there so far. That's why he's in the minors. But you're talking about mind-bending breaking balls, upper-level, top-end fastballs combined. It's just a matter of him developing consistency. He's a guy who could be really fun to watch every five or six or whatever days it is this year. Now, again, he's not big league ready. Uh, but he did have some showed some promise when he went to winter ball this past year that I'll be fascinated to see kind of how much improvement he's making is the consistency getting better. 
I think that that Somerset could have a really, really good, maybe strong, because I think there is a lot of variance to these players, but a really talented pitching staff this year. On the position player side, you know, the big name in the Yankees organization is Jason Dominguez. And we don't have to spend all of this time talking about Jason, but I'm curious uh, from your perspective, if there's a potential ETA, a rough ETA that you could put on, you know, what his trajectory is going to look like this year and when he might be available for Somerset, whether it be at the end of this season, potentially 2022, 2023, what, what are your thoughts? And, and I guess, what have you heard overall on Dominguez? I so just ready to see him in an actual game that counts. I mean, it is something, and we say that a lot of players right now, because we're coming off a very weird year, but, but Jason Dominguez is almost an Arthurian legend at this point. Like, I mean, this is the Knights of the round table in some ways where we're talking about, you hear all these stories, you hear the amazing, you know, home runs. He got a lot bigger since he signed all of those things, but, we just want to see him in games that count so we can say, okay, what he's done now has taken it to that, you know, that next level. Or, oh, here are the weaknesses that he has to work on. We don't know what those are really yet because he hasn't had a chance to be. And again, I don't mean exposed in a way that he's uh, not as good as we think or anything like that. But players, great prospects still have flaws that they need to work on, things to improve. He hasn't gone through that test yet. And I would hope that we're going to get a hundred and some games of him this year in class a to start to see that. And the other thing he has going on is, is again, this is his first real year as a professional. And I don't mean that he's been a professional baseball player, but being a professional baseball player, not getting to play in games is not the same as the grind of a five month season. He's going to get to experience that for the first time. And that's going to pay off for him down the road because that's an adjustment you have to make. So do you have a rough ETA? Can Patriots fans say, you know, maybe 2022 is a possibility or a 2023 for a guy like that? I mean, it's tough to say right now. Um, it depends a lot on what he does this year. Now, because yeah. I, I, I'll lay out two scenarios, right? 2022 is a very logical one. Let's say that Jason Dominguez starts in low A this year and hits 350 for the first two months of the season gets a mid-season call up to, to high A and goes out and does something similar again, even just has a very good season in high A. Well, then you could very well say that he goes into spring training next year, ticketed to maybe go back to high A for the first month of the season, but then get promoted to double A. And if he sets the world on fire in spring training, he just goes straight to double A. Okay. So that would, that would be one. Um, but, you know, the other is, you know, the, the other possibility is that he goes out this year in Class A, and worst case scenario, let's say he has a 30% strikeout rate. You know, and he shows some power, he shows athleticism, he shows that, but he shows that he's got some steps to go. Well, he may spend all of this year in low A then. And then at midseason, you know, next year he goes to high A, and then maybe it's a late 22 or it's even a 2023. And that's kind of the variable. Now, the really insane one is, is let's say that this year he's done enough that the Yankees look at it and say, you know what, we're going to give him an aggressive assignment and he starts the year in high A this year. Well, if that happens, I don't think he's going to be in double A, you know, at the snap of fingers or whatever. But at that point, 
If he starts the season in high A, it's not crazy to think, even if it's just a late season call-up, that he could even end the year this year in double A. All of these are the variables that we really can't fully predict yet because a lot of it's going to depend on what Jason Dominguez does over the next four or five months. It's all very exciting. Uh, Patriots fans are looking forward to the Martian potentially being here. Last question I have for you, JJ, and then I'll let you go. One of the very, one of the many exciting things about this new opportunity for the Patriots is not only are they going to see top prospects for the New York Yankees organization, but you know, there is a very talented player pool at double A level that is going to play in double A Northeast with all of the different organizations that are in this, in this area. Uh, so are there any players that stand out to you that you think would be in this league that Patriots fans should be on the lookout for when they come into town? Maybe somebody like Adley Rutschman, if he's playing for double A Bowie. Um, I don't know if Spencer Torkelson will be with Erie at this point, but are there anybody, is there anybody on your radar that Patriots fans should be on the lookout for? I'm interested to see where Adley starts the season, but I would be shocked if Adley Rushman's not there, not in double A for a good bit of this year because he, he already had, he had played in class A, you know, before all of the shutdown and all. I just have, I, I don't see him spending all of this year in high A or anything like that. And Adley Rushman is the guy. I mean, Adley Rushman is everything you want to see in a catching prospect. He should be very, very, very fun to watch this year. And uh, I, to me, that's the one that stands out beyond it. I think Torkelson very well could be there by the end of the year. I think Riley Green, another very interesting Tigers prospect, could be there by the midseason or end of the year. But, um, but I would say I don't expect either of them. I think they've already said that neither of them is going to start the year in double-A. But those are ones who definitely could be there before the uh, year's out. And, I mean, Spencer Torkelson, Adley Rushman was the number one pick in the draft a couple of years ago. Spencer Torkelson was the number one pick in the draft last year. So not crazy to, you know, that you, you could see two number one picks in the league this year. Uh, it's it's going to be a season unlike any that the Patriots fans have seen for a number of reasons. And uh, the best way to follow everything that's going on at the minor league level is by following all of JJ's work over at Baseball America. I also want to make sure uh, that you guys know that the 2021 Baseball America Prospect Handbook is available. Uh, so if you want even more information on potential prospects you'll see from the Yankees or other teams coming into Somerset this year, be sure to go to BaseballAmerica.com and get your prospect handbook. JJ, thank you so much for taking time today. This has been a really fun conversation, and, and I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by TD Bank. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, we've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank. Proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank, NA. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. In uncertain times, you need someone who has your back. That's why Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey makes sure their health plans have all the benefits you need. Telemedicine, mental health services, and more because everyone should feel like someone has their back.
And welcome back to the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz. I'm joined alongside Brandon Pelter. And Brandon, you know, just quickly tying a bow on that J.J. Cooper conversation. One of the things that really stood out to me, and it's something that both of us have been wondering for some time, is specific to the amount of mobility between levels for prospects in affiliated organizations this year. Uh, we've wondered that maybe there might be less movement between levels because teams are going to want guys to sort of stay within the same group, within the same bubble uh, for COVID-19 uh, protocols. Uh, JJ mentioned that, you know, with a lot of these players that are likely going to be vaccinated, that that might not be the case. And we actually might see a significant amount of mobility between levels, guys getting called up or called down. And when you look at the Patriots' potential roster for this year, that throws in this whole curveball that Patriots fans haven't really been used to, where there's going to be a lot of movement, guys coming up or, and coming down, and the possibility for some quite significant prospects that might play here this year. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, Mark, it was so great that uh, that you got to catch up with JJ because he always has so much information to offer. Uh, but what he explained is kind of how I've seen things too and how I at least think they might play out. Now, my opinion is much less <laughs> informed than his might be, but I think at the end of the day, first of all, with Hudson Valley being right around the corner, I mean, what is that, an hour and a half, a two-hour drive? Uh, that's really not much at all for these players, and they're going to be on the road. So as you mentioned, for our fans certainly expect to see changes, to see new names. But with that, you bring really exciting names because if they're coming up to us from a Hudson Valley or from a Tampa, that means they've been performing really well and the Yankees see a strong future ahead for those players. Oh, we see a strong future ahead for the Somerset Patriots. And that future has already gotten started, but it really gets going on Tuesday, May 4th when the Patriots welcome in the Harrisburg Senators for the first of a 120-game slate as the newest members of the AA Northeast League. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining uh, the show here today. And um, you know what? I'm looking forward to future episodes with you. Looking forward to future episodes and a real fun season ahead for the two of us. Yeah, sh should be a lot of fun. A reminder that we will be back with another episode that will air on the Voice of Central Jersey 1450 WCTC next Thursday. The online episode will drop next Friday. And then once we get into the 2021 season, the schedule for the podcast will adjust just a bit. We'll announce more information in the coming weeks, but we will continue the pod throughout the course of the season as well. For Brandon Pelter, my name is Mark Schwartz. A big thank you again to J.J. Cooper for joining this week's episode. And have a pleasant weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Patriots and Pinstripes podcast. Each episode is aired on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, and WCTCAM.com every Thursday night from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., with online versions made available on podcast streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Please consider giving us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.